was going to do. And uh, in the time that, that Brother Kinsey was pastor, he, the, he, he took a church at, back in the, I think it was the 50s, I believe. Uh, he, he took a church that had 16. And by the time he re, uh, uh, resi- or retired, if you will, went to bishop, they were running over 600. And so when, when he would talk, I would listen. He was a man that had walked through uh, life's roads. And he, he told me, he said, every year, I would preach the first message that I ever preached when I became pastor. And I have tried to do that. I think I've done it every year. Sometimes my notes get a little fuzzy and I can't tell if I did or not, but I have. Because tomorrow will mark the 10th anniversary of my wife and I becoming pastor, June the 20th, or June 21st, there in 2008. But on June. The 22nd, because that was a Saturday, but that Sunday, June the 22nd, 2008, I got up early in the morning and I went to uh, Detroit and flew to here to, to St. Louis to O'Fallon and came straight to church early that morning and I stood behind a pulpit and I preached my first sermon. And tonight I want to do the same. Uh, I, I want to preach it. I told some of those that were here uh, in, in the office, if you remember what I preach, some of this will sound familiar. If you don't recall what I preached, then hopefully this is the best message you've ever heard. So we'll just see. That, that night, that Sunday night, there was, there was 25 people here. Most of them were just outsiders, curious to see what the new pastor was going to do. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 7. And... Um, we're going we're gonna to stay around that uh, for it. Second Kings chapter 2 and verse 7. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, and he wrapped it together, and he smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, as they still went on, this is verse 11, And they talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. It parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took a hold of his own clothes, and he rent them, tore them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he went back, and he stood by the bank of the Jordan River. For the last nine years now, I have preached a sermon and I have started out with the same illustration and I know it's worn out but bear with me one more time as I tell it because it sets up what we're going. It's the little boy who came home from school from Sunday school one afternoon and his dad asked him about the lesson. He said, what did you learn today? The little boy said, well, Moses uh, heard from God to go to Egypt and get God's children and so Moses went and had all these cool things that happened and he brought the children of Israel out they marched into the wilderness and they found themselves at the banks of the Red Sea the Red Sea was in front of them the mountains were on either side and Pharaoh's army was behind them and they were scared they were afraid that they were going back into captivity so Moses called for a meeting they sat down with engineers and they began to design a bridge 
contractors came and did dirt work and site planning and others dug the holes for the bridge supports and mixed the cement and then the iron workers came and climbed up and built the frame of the bridge and then they laid the deck there on there and the children of Israel marched across the bridge to dry land. Pharaoh and his army gathered and they marched across the bridge but when they got to the middle of the bridge uh, uh, Moses blew the bridge up with some dynamite and they all died and collapsed as they drowned in the Red Sea. little boy's father said hmm are you sure that's what they're teaching you at Sunday school and he said well dad if I told you what they told me you'd never believe it I ask you today same question I've asked every year since 2008 how come sometimes it's so hard to believe what God wants to do can I just go on record to say, and I think you know this, I think our church is part of it and we're in the middle of it, but I still believe in a miracle working God. I still believe in a God that can cure diseases. I still believe in a God that can set the captive free. I still believe in a God that can fill people with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I still believe in a God that can do the miraculous. And I wonder, why is it so hard to believe that God can part waters? Now for us, for us, that's a little out of our comfort zone. That's right, Zeke. I don't know if any of us have ever been anywhere that God's parted the waters. I, how many of you have seen, I don't know who it is, but you've seen that picture and it's, it's two men in biblical dress and they're fishing. And, and, and one guy's fishing and the other guy's kind of on the side and he's, he's parted the waters and the other guy says, Moses, quit that. Quit making me fish or, or help me let me fish uh, the way I want it. Moses is, you know, making him fish on dry land. I don't know that any of us have ever experienced the water parting. But for whatever reason, for Israel, God decided to do that. He did that at the Red Sea. He did it at the Jordan River. So that's twice in Israel's history. And why is it so hard to believe he could do it again? And when I look at this church, in fact, this year, this church will celebrate 55 years of being an apostolic church. From humble beginnings in a little white clapboard, one-room schoolhouse there on Sondran Road to where we are now in the presence of God moving each and every service, we've come a long way. O'Fallon's come a long way. It used to have just a gravel road that went down Highway K. Now it takes you forever to get from Highway 40 to Highway 70. It's grown up. There's a lot of things that have happened. But what I'm thankful for is as the city's grown, the church is growing. And can I just tell you, just in case you don't know, the city of O'Fallon knows where the lighthouse is. And they know that God is moving. Elijah was walking in his, in, if you start to read 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah was on his way from Sinai to Damascus. And the Bible tells us that while it's on that, that journey and while he's walking, he comes to a, a young man that was plowing some oxen. Come here, Zane. And he's, he's sitting there, and the Bible says, or, or, you know, he, he's plowing his oxen. And the Bible says that without a sign, without a word, Moses, or Moses <laughs> Elijah just puts that, 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 uh, that garment, that mantle, it's what represented his prophetic nature, his ministry. He just puts that there 
on Elisha and he keeps on walking. No words were said. But uh, uh, as Elijah passes by, Elisha runs after him and he says, I, I know that something has just happened. I understand there is a, a, a seemingly a transference, uh, maybe even a call, if you will. He said, let me go tell my mom and dad bye, and then I'm ready to go wherever you want to go, Elijah. And so they did. That mantle that he threw over Elisha's shoulder, it, it, it was the call there to the ministry. And as far as I can see, for seven to eight years, you hear nothing about Elisha. I have no idea what he did in those seven or eight years. But what I do and what I, what I am cognizant of is that for, for quietly, without any fanfare, God was preparing a ministry. I made mention of this to someone here today. But, but, but if you read in the book of Acts chapter 6, you find that, that as the church began to grow, uh, there, the, the, some of the widows they said we're really being neglected we need some help and, and, and uh, the, the apostles they said you know not to be ignorant but we don't have time to do this We've, we're, we're, we're trying to get this going and so they appointed seven men to take care of the widows you can look at it uh, Acts chapter 6 there were, there were uh, in that one of them is Stephen his name is Stephen and, and you, you see that Stephen begin to work. Stephen, I, I promise you, if you put on your resume, I took care of the widows, that's not nearly as, as cool, if you will, as I preached the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got the Holy Ghost, right? But what Stephen understood, and what I love about the Word of God is, you read one paragraph where Stephen uh, took care of the widows, and the very next paragraph begins to talk about how uh, 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 learned Stephen was, and how he could preach and confound. And in fact, it's what led to Stephen being stoned, is that Stephen understood that if I will serve, God will use me elsewhere. While this may not have anything to do with the complete sermon, I do believe inside this building are young men and young ladies and even some that might not be as young as they used to be that you felt the call of God on your life. But I could tell you today that you need to understand that God has a purpose. And even if it feels like you're waiting tables for a little old lady widow, understand that if God has put you there, if you'll do it with everything you have, there is another call deeper that God may have planned for you. It may not always start with a huge fanfare. It might just be a dirty old mantle laid on a shoulder and then nothing else for seven or eight years. But there was a ministry being prepared. But I'm not here to talk about the individual. I'm here to talk about the lighthouse as a whole, the church as a whole. It finally got to the place in 2 Kings chapter 2 that, that uh, Elijah began to talk to Elisha. Elijah said, I, f I, I feel like my time is about to be done. I feel like God's going to take me home and, and, and you're going to be here. And, and so he said, Elijah said to Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, one, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. And Elijah said to Elisha, wait here. Wait here and tarry for as the Lord or, 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 or for the Lord is sending me to Bethel. And Elisha said, As the Lord liveth, 
and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. They were in Gilgal. This is where they were. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here at Gilgal. I'm going to keep going forward. God's got something for me. Gilgal, if you begin to research it and understand it, Gilgal means a, a, a rolling stone or a wheel. And, and it's kind of a place of wandering, of just kind of moving but never really getting anywhere. There was something in Elisha that was birthed inside of him that said, I'm not content just to spin my wheels. I'm not content just to kind of be here. I think God has a purpose for me. God's called me. And I want to be where God moves. And he says, I'm not going to leave you. But there's another deeper meaning to Gilgal. If you look in the book of Joshua chapter 5, you'll find that Gilgal was the last place they hit before they crossed into the promised land. It was in Gilgal that they encamped. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10. They camped in Gilgal. They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month. They ate all the old corn of the land. They ate the unleavened cakes and the parched corn. And the manna ceased the next day. And the children never ate manna again. And I want to tell you today at this church. That there has to be a place in all of our lives. Where we say, I'm not content to stay here and eat the manna. I know what you've promised there. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land where there is a promise. And if you're ever going to get where God wants this church to get, if you're ever going to get where God is calling you to go to, you've got to be willing to move forward out of the old, out of where you know you, you can just know every day I wake up, there's going to be manna there, but that manna is going to stop one day. And if they would have stayed in the wilderness... They wouldn't have had any provision. But when they hit that promised land, when they hit that future, that's where everything that God said was there happened. They went in their future and they stopped feasting on the past. I love, and and I, I, I sing the old songs. I love that. But I don't sing the old songs because I want the old church. I sing the old songs because the message that's enclosed in them is still true. Does that make sense? I sing the new songs, not because I like new all the time, but I like the message that it sings. And and can I tell you, I'm not interested in that good old-timey religion. I know we sing songs about that, but I'm not interested in that. I have no desire to go sit on sawed-off pews outside in the humidity and the heat with a little funeral fan and somebody screaming because there's no mics. I'm not into that. Thank you for air conditioning. Thank you for padded pews. Thank you for a nice building. I'm okay with what God wants to do right now. And so it was that that Elisha uh, said, I'm not going to stay here. I'm willing to move forward. And so he followed. They went from Gilgal to Bethel. Now you've got to stand over here. They went from Gilgal to Bethel. It was there that you you begin to find in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 3 that the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and they said, they said to Elisha, they said, did you know that probably today 
your master Elijah is going to be taken from you and you're not going to have that. You're not going to have the one that can do all the miracles and, and, and you're going to be all alone and you're not going to have that, that, that power going before you. And Elisha said, I know it. Now hold your peace. And Elijah said to Elisha, wait here. The Lord is sending me to Jericho. But once again, the word came out of Elisha's mouth. As long as the Lord lives and as long as I live, I'm not going to leave thee. It's very interesting here uh, in Bethel, the, the, the town that they call Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And there's a lot of churches that use that same name and, 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 and all of that. But it, it literally means the dwelling place of God. And it's there that you meet the sons of the prophets. The sons of the prophets, they were in Bible school, if you will. They were training to be ministers. They were pastors and preachers in training and they even were used a bit and if you look throughout this sermon you'll see him quite a bit I love the house of God we get fed spiritual food at the house of God I love coming to the house of God I love seeing lives change I love worshiping with you I, I love to see people filled with the Holy Ghost I love to see the presence of God reach down but you know what else you get in the house of God negative people some of the hardest battles I've ever faced came in the church. And it was the same there in Bethel. They came with their negative thoughts. Don't you know that you're going to lose Elijah today? And Elisha said, I know. Now hold on and just let me keep going. I've had the most negative comments ever made to me, made in the house of God. And you know what's interesting about that? Uh, well, it just it kills me to have people say you know well there's hypocrites in the church I can't come back to church there's hypocrites in the church I'm not I don't go to the gym as you can tell I work hard on this other ways but uh, I don't go to the gym but you know what I found out at the gym there's hypocrites at the gym there's people that as soon as they leave the gym they go straight to Krispy Kreme You know, I'm a pretty logical person, and, and, and logic drives me crazy. And, and, and my thing is, if you're going to use logic, apply that logic across the board. And if you're not going to come to church because there's negative people, then you might as well just stay in bed. Because everywhere you go, there's going to be someone that says you can't do it. There's going to be someone that tries to put a limit. There's going to be someone that says, you know, God's not really interested in building a church in O'Fallon. God's, you know, this is, it's too hard to do it. The, there's not really going to be a, another move of God. It, it's never going to grow. It's never going to happen. It's never going to be. But you know what you tell them? Just, sh just shut up. That's, that's what, if you read Buford's version of the Bible where it says, uh, hold your peace. That's King James Version. Buford's Version is shut up. Because I don't, it, it, it goes all the way back to the, to, the, to the 12 spies. I'm not looking at anybody else's voice, but his. And I want to tell you, God says, I am. Not the I maybe, not the I think, not the possibly, but he says, I am that I am. And, and so it was that Elisha said, I'm not willing to just exist at church. 
I'm not willing to let just coming to the house of God be the final stage of my life. My church attendance, although I like it and I'm proud of it and I'm thankful I can do it, I'm not interested in just hanging around the church. God's called me to go further. And so from there they took a journey and they went to Jericho. Again, the same question was there, why don't you stay here at Jericho? I've got to go a little farther. And at that same voice, that same word, Elisha saying, as long as you live, as long as God lives, I'm not going to leave you because there's something that I'm craving. There's something that I'm going to get. There's something if I can just keep moving forward that's going to happen. Jericho was a beautiful place. It was a place of fragrance in the middle of a vast grove of palm trees. It was a fenced city. And it was a hard test because here the test was, why don't you stay in Jericho where it's comfortable? Why don't you stay in Jericho where, you know, they, they, they said that it, they, they also had, uh, you know, it had flowers and bakeries and restaurants and it had everything you could possibly need and it would be very easy to be comfortable in Jericho. But God was testing Elisha. And I believe it was Elisha that began to get something inside of him that said, I'm not content to stay in my comfort zone. This is a, this is a place that it feels good to be, but it's a dangerous place to be. Because if we're not careful, we can get to the place as a church that church is comfortable just the right amount of people so that you feel good when you come in music is phenomenal the preaching is good the, the, the Sunday school teachers are awesome and everything is good and it's comfortable and you can just kind of sit back and enjoy it and while I want church to be good and I don't want anything that I just mentioned to go downhill but can I tell you God has caused you, called you to go farther than just your comfort zone farther than just good church it would have been nice to stay there and just kind of have fun because where Elijah was about to go they were going to leave the comfort and the beauty of Jericho and they were going, going to go out into the wilderness but Elisha said I'm willing to follow you out of my comfort zone I was willing to get this journey started I was willing to go to church but not stay there and not just let that be the final end. I'm willing to go beyond my comfort zone. And there, Elijah and Elisha came. And they came to the Jordan River. What we read in our, in our uh, uh, text was the sons of the prophets, they stood afar off and they were looking over. But here was Elijah and Elisha and they're standing there at that Jordan River. And Elijah, in my mind, Elijah didn't say a whole lot. He didn't tell Elisha what he was going to do. He just stood there and he just took his mantle off and he smote the water and it just, dry land. By the way, that's one of the miracles about parting the waters is it wasn't just that he got the water out of the way, but he dried the land. It's kind of like, you know, it rained today, at least here it rained pretty hard. And if you tried to go walk out and back where we got grass seed planted, you'd sink up to your ankles in that old clay mud. And it could take a couple days of nice sun to get that dried out. But we're talking about the bottom of a river, and instantly it's dry. 
and Elijah and Elisha, they walk across on dry land. The sons of the prophets are watching. And as they get across on, over there, something begins to happen. That, that Jericho, stay right there, bud. That, that Jericho, or, or, or rather that, that, that uh, uh, Jordan, represents a, a place of crossing over, a place of dying out. That's why the old spirituals, when they wanted to talk about someone dying, they'd sing songs like, Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. It's always been a connotation of a death. If you cross over Jordan, you've died. This was not going to be a physical death that took place. But instead, what it was is, is Elijah had to make the decision, or Elisha rather, if I cross the Jordan River, there's no going back. That over there represents something incredible. Over there perhaps represents a power of God, an anointing of God, if you will, that I can only dream about. But it's going to require me to lay some things down. It's going to require me to take some steps. And once I get there, I can't go back. See, God is calling, call, calling you to leave the comfort and be willing to step over Jordan and say, you know what? I want more than just comfortable church. I want more than just, you know, going to church and, 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 and checking off an hour and a half of, of good church and going home. And, and hey, I'm, I'm saved. I've got the Holy Ghost. I'm living for God. But can I tell you, God is calling you for more. God is calling you to be the, the catalyst that will allow O'Fallon to be touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ more than it's ever been in 55 years. But you've got to be willing to cross. And they crossed that Jordan River. As soon as they got across it, whirlwind, chariot of fire came, scooped Elijah up, and Elisha was left all alone was following, the mentor, the, the one that, that had already gone before and blazed the trail was gone. But fluttering out of that sky came his mantle. This year, and I, I kind of mentioned it, but, but and, and again, it may not make a lot of sense to some of you. If, if you haven't, if, if you weren't raised in the church, you know, I can mention names that, that you, you won't know. But this year, we've lost a lot of incredible uh, statesmen of the faith. Statesmen that were there when the United Pentecostal Church was merged and formed. Those that, that started churches where there were no churches. Started churches where they would get cussed out and ran out of town. And now they've reached their reward and they've gone home. And it causes people like me to look at what they've done and say, what am I going to do? How am I going to affect my world? How am I going to change my world? We all want the power of, of those great men of God. We all want the power of those incredible churches that have turned their communities upside down. That mantle fell. And everybody knew that that mantle represented that calling, that anointing, that power that Elijah walked in. And over there, off in the distance, were the sons of the prophets. And they watched it all go down. And I promise you, there were some of them over there that said, Man, wouldn't it be awesome if I could get that mantle? 
Wouldn't it be awesome if I could, if I could preach and, and, and wouldn't it be awesome if our church was like that church? Wouldn't it be awesome if our revival was like what God is doing over there? Wouldn't it be great if I could go over there and pick it up? They were too far away. But Elisha went and he, he, he bent down in that dust and he picked up that old dusty mantle. And he shook it off, and I'm convinced he held it for a moment. I honestly, I don't, there's no such thing as a magic mantle, okay? When, when Elisha picked that up, it didn't feel like anything other than, man, this is what Elijah had. I don't think he got goosebumps. I don't think electricity shot all through his body. I don't believe it. You know, that's just not how God works. But he picks up that mantle. And he comes back, the Bible says, he comes back to that Jordan River and he stops. Because this is where everything collides. When you stand at the same place as those that went before us stood and you've seen what God has done in their life and in their churches and in their, in their ministry and you're at that same spot. And I wonder if Elisha looked at that mantle, looked at Jordan, and said, I wonder if the same God of Elijah is the same God of Elisha. What will happen if I hit that water? Remember, there's sons of the prophets watching. What if I hit that water? What if I activate my faith? What if I say, God, I think you can and nothing happens what are they going to say over there that's why all too often as we go forward we quit parting waters and we start building bridges because fear creeps in and doubt creeps in and we say you know what we can just make a program that will take the place of what God's power we won't revive on our church, but I just don't know about this prayer and fasting thing. I don't know about just, you know, doing it the, the, the way I've watched others do it. Why don't we make a program? And I'm not opposed to it. I had a lot of fun giving away a grill and had a lot of fun telling dad jokes on Father's Day. But the power of that service didn't come from that. And so uh, Elisha stood there and he wondered, is God going to do for me what he's done for those that have went before? The only way to know that is to do it and to hit the water. And Elisha took that old dirty mantle and he smote those waters. And the God of Elijah became the God of Elisha. That the God of Abraham is the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob cannot tell you today that he is the same yesterday today and forever and I'm here to tell you that as I have read and continued to read the book of Acts and I look what God did in the book of Acts I am 100% convinced brother Bob that God wants to do it today just as he did back then but the only way to do it is to stand in some upper rooms and proclaim this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel you gotta be willing to pick up the mantle and you gotta be willing to smack the water not going to be a program it's not going to be some cool thing we, we figured out in 2018 
it's going to be that he is the same today as he was there. I, I failed to mention this, but right before Elijah went up into heaven, he asked Elisha, he said, if I could give you anything, if God could do anything, what do you want? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit upon me. And Elijah said, if that's what you want, it's a hard thing. But if you're with me when I go, you'll receive the double portion. And if you thought Elisha stuck close to Elijah before, after that, he certainly did. Because he said you could get a, a double portion. And most commentators say that uh, this happened. You can look, there were 14 uh, miracles that they attribute to the ministry of Elijah some 28 miracles that they attribute to the career of Elisha. Elisha. Elijah's ministry was 13 years. Elisha's ministry was 25 years. And those sons of the prophets, they could have had all of that if they were willing to take the journey that Elijah took, or Elisha took. You've got to be willing to start it first. You got to be willing to, to go to church, but you got to be willing to take it outside the walls of that church. You, you've got to be willing to, to leave your comfort zone. You've got to be willing to cross over the Jordan and say, once I get over there, I've got to die out to some things. To, to walk on that side means to live a little bit different life than I did over here. John chapter 14 and verse 12 says, Verily, verily, I say to you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The Lord said to the church, Jesus, I believe it, you can, you could... You could extrapolate this out of that. The Lord says to the church, if you'll stick with me, if you'll be there when I'm gone, and if you'll keep continuing once I have, have translated out of this world, you'll keep doing what I did and more. I know it's been a couple millennia. I understand we're in 2018, but the blood still works. The name of Jesus still works. Holiness still works. Consecration still works. The miracle and the miraculous work of Jesus Christ is still able. You don't have to build bridges. You can part waters. The Old Testament, especially as you get into those minor prophets at the end, I'm astounded at how messianic they are how much those Old Testament prophets spoke of the things that were coming on the other side of that gulf between the Old Testament and the New. For he said in Hosea chapter 6, he said that we shall know that if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain the latter and the former rain under the earth. But only if you follow on to know the Lord. So many people either never start or they get stopped somewhere along their journey. Some people never leave the house of God per se. 
They just come to church. God touches them, and that's as far as it ever goes. They just sit on a pew. Others, they, 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 they get going, and, and something gets built up, and it becomes a comfort zone for them, a Jericho, and they, they just kind of stay right there. Joel chapter 2 says, Be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will come cause to come down for you the rain, the former and the latter rain in the first month, a double Zechariah chapter 10 verse 1 says Ask ye of the Lord Say rain in the time of the latter rain Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9 Says the glory of the latter house Shall be greater than that of the former James chapter 5 says Be patient Until you receive that early And that latter There's a lot of people, as you begin to read the Word of God, there's a lot of people that built bridges instead of parted waters. Simon the sorcerer, he was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he loved what he felt, and he was, he, he was baptized. But when he saw the disciples come and lay their hands, and, they, and, and he saw that when they laid their hands on them, people got the Holy Ghost. He said, man, I want that. How much do I need to pay you to get that kind of power? The seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19, when God wrought miracles by the hands of Paul, were vagabond Jews extortion or, or exorcists they took upon themselves and they said oh we can do it all Paul did was say in the name of Jesus and so they got a hold of some demon possessed things and they started saying in Jesus name I adjure you to come out and there were seven sons of Sceva Sceva was a Jew he was even one of the priests perhaps even the high priest the Bible says the chief priest that evil spirit said Jesus I know Paul I know but because the name of Jesus isn't some magic word you can say. You've got to be willing to walk the walk, the journey, and go with it. That path that you follow, you've got to get past that place of non-starting, a place of just kind of rolling away, that place of the old. You've got to say, I can't exist on the past. I want you to get to the house of God. I want you to learn in the house of God, but I want you to willing to take it outside those walls don't get seduced by the fragrance of Jericho and the ease of its comfortable lifestyle be willing to step there on Jordan River and say I'm going to die out to the old, I'm, I want a breakthrough I'm ready to rise in that newness of life and if you want what those that went before us have done you've got to be willing to do what they did that's why no matter how long it takes for the Lord to come I mean we, we could get to the place where all of our cars are flying cars I mean we, we've got technology that just blows our mind but, but revival's not going to come on the heels of some great technology the things of God are not tied to the knowledge of this world but instead, it's tied to people who say it's not by my might, it's not by my power, it's not by my programs, it's not by my bridge building, but it's by your power. 
And the only way we're ever going to get it is for me to get to the place where I say, God, lead me, draw me, bring me until it's your power, it's your work, it's your things, it's your mind, it's your will and not mine. And for the last nine years, I've prayed this. I may preach it once a year, but I can tell you I live it every day of my life. God, get me to the place where you part the waters. God, get me to the place where I can walk out and pray for the sick. And it's not the magic word that I said, but it's the power of the one that I have a relationship with. I want this church to be a water park. You begin to read the book of Acts. I'm, I'm blown away at how, how closely tied the revival was to the miracles. It's because this world is so hungry for a God who moves. They've been promised everything, but it's like the idolatry of old. There's a lot of gods, but there's no movement. Nothing changes, nothing moves, nothing shakes them. They like their tradition. They're comfortable in the feeling of it. They like the fact that they can go to church and check it off. But deep down inside, they crave a move of God. But the only way this church can have a move of God is to be willing to take the steps and to take the journey to get to a place where you can pick up the, the, the mantle and says, Lord, I want the power you've given those that have gone before me. Would you stand today? I wonder if you could lift your voice and lift your hands. I preach to the church as a whole, but I understand the church as a whole is made up of individuals. So in reality, I'm preaching to you individually. Because the, the mantle is not just for the preacher. The mantles for whosoever will, let him come. The power, the, the, the Holy Ghost that you have in your life is the exact same that exists in your pastor's life. There's no greater anointing just because I stand behind a pulpit. There's a difference of calling. There's a difference of gifts. But he said you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And this church, it's the old Uncle Sam poster, this church needs you. O'Fallon needs you. St. Charles County needs you. The water parter, not the bridge builder. You need to say, God, I want that double portion. I want to see greater works than these that I could even do because I have fulfilled your great commission. Lord, would you lead me? I wonder if you could lift your hands and would you talk to God right now? Would you begin to speak to the Lord? Would you begin to let the Lord direct you? Would you let him call you? Would you let him 